You can be seated. You are here for a good day this morning. We got God's word. We've been singing praises. Glad you're here. John chapter 6. We'll be in John chapter 6. We continue in our series, I Am. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. And I want to talk to you about something. Food. Food. It's awesome. (laughs) Okay? They have channels devoted to it. Okay? Food Network, Cooking Network. If I say food to you, you are immediately probably salivating, thinking about what you're going to eat afterwards. You may be thinking about what you had before you came or the fact you didn't have something before you came. Food is important to us, right? <laughs> yes, yes, it's important to us. And it's doesn't, it makes sense then that God would use the image of food to describe to us how bad we need him. It makes sense, right? It's one of those longings that we have is food. After a long day, what do you want to do? You want to eat something. At lunchtime, what do you want to do if you've been working hard? Or maybe if you haven't been working hard, what do you want? You want some food, something that is necessary for your existence. Jesus would say to the people that I am the bread of life. And so if you would look with me in John 6, verse 25, I'd like to read to you John 6, 25 through 40 as we unpack that today. So if you would, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen for you. Verse 25, when they found him, him being Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and you were filled. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures into eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who, in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see you and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you, but I say to you, that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son of Man and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Like most good stories, and as I've, this is a lot of conversation that Jesus is having between these two people, it is, it is preceded in the book of John by one of the great miracles that people know about, which is Jesus taking this kid's lunch. He took a happy meal, he took a kid's meal, and he took the loaves and the fish, and he multiplied it to feed over 5,000 people. We know it's 5,000 men. So he takes that, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and they have stuff left over in baskets. He feeds this whole group of people. And then 
They were so excited about what they had seen, they were ready to crown Jesus as king. But Jesus perceiving that, what we have happens is he goes off and, and goes by himself to pray because that is not his mission. He's come to die, to be king through death. And so he leaves, and his disciples are left alone, and they get in a boat, and they sail on the, to the, they start to sail, and in the night he comes to them and appears. And they miraculously make it to the other side. Well, then you have these people looking for Jesus, the people who were there who received the fish. And you know what they were doing? They were looking for him. They couldn't find him. He wasn't where he was last time. So they go on a, quite a trek to find him, and they finally discover where he is. And that's where we picked up in verse 25. These people have been searching for Jesus for some time, traveling to different places. And they find him. In verse 25 of John 6, and, they, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but children have this amazing way of sneaking away from you. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe you're a better parent than I am, okay? But Judson, has his second home has become this building a lot of times because he's up here with me, especially since kindergarten hasn't really kicked in into full, full steam yet. So sometimes when we're up here, he doesn't bother me at all like while I'm working. He just goes and finds some place and sits down and, and <laughs> watches TV or plays with the toys. I'm pretty blessed that he'll do that. But then sometimes I go, I had not seen him in like two hours. I'm pretty blessed bad parent. I probably should find out where he is. And so I'm walking, Judson, where are you? And I hear, I'm here. Where? He goes, find me. I'm like, that's not what I want. <laughs> and he's in some nook and cranny, and he's like, hey, dad, when I finally find him. And so Jesus is kind of like that with these people. They want to crown him king. They see this one miracle, and they're searching for him, and they're like, hey, where were you, Jesus. In verse 26, Jesus answered them. And when he says truly, truly, it's translated truly, truly, I think rightfully so. It could be amen, amen. That's literally what the word is in the Greek. And what it, the idea is, I'm telling you something that is you take to the make. So he said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They saw Jesus as a meal ticket and a way that they could have food. We used to do these things, and like I said, you guys know I was a youth minister for a long time. We used to do these big FCA things or Christians, Christian clubs at the school. You know the number one way we got kids to come to that? Donuts. Okay? It's amazing. Like a, a donut costs maybe two cents, okay, it's dough, and it's fried, and it's covered in delicious glaze, okay, you know, we're talking about food, okay, get me, you know, all right, it's, you're following me, so you got the food, and we'd be like, donuts, okay, we could be all day, come listen to this guy, share about Jesus, and everyone's like, I'm good, you say donuts, we're like, oh, Krispy Kreme, I'm there, okay, and that's what we have in essence here, is like, these people were seeking Jesus, not for him, and they're not looking for signs to see the Messiah, to see this one who's sent from God, what they are looking for is a free meal, and like, hey, if you go follow this guy, listen to him preach, they got a killer spread at the end, and you get all the bread and fish you can handle, 
It's like the fish fry, okay? It's awesome. It's like sermon, French fry, or fish fry. <laughs> Let's go to this guy. And Jesus says, truly, 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 I say to you, you're seeking me. He sees their heart and he says, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. And so Jesus, he's, we've already read it. He's going to be the bread of life. This thing that you should seek that will really satisfy you. But these people and, and, and their attitude is that they are working for something that will perish. Go on and look in verse, the next verse, verse 27. He tells them, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. They wanted the free meal. Jesus said, I know what you're doing. You're following me, not because you want to hear this teaching, not because you're looking to know God through the Messiah. You're not looking for that. What you're looking for is a free meal. And he says, listen, there's something greater out there. There's, a, there's the bread of life that is there. And don't keep working for things that will perish. This is similar to Jeremiah 2.13 in which God calls out through the prophet to his people and says, for, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have hewn out cisterns or things to hold water for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. And he's saying, why do you work so hard? And you know, and what are you thinking, work? And why, how have they been working? Well, they have spent the better part of 24 hours chasing Jesus around the Sea of Galilee, going to different places, trying to find him. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen him? Because I'm a little bit hungry. They're working up an appetite looking, looking for somebody who's got the food. And so they're going all around, and they find him, and they're like, where have you been? And he says, truly, truly let me tell you something. You're not seeking me because you want to know God. You're seeking me because you want to get full, because you want a free meal. Jesus is not Golden Corral, okay? He's not there for your food intake needs, not your physical food intake needs. He says, don't labor for food that will perish, but food that will go on to eternal life. And just like most situations, when Jesus tells the crowd, they're probably going, what? There are things in this life that we work for and we work hard at, and sometimes we give our whole affections to that don't really amount to much. The accumulation of wealth. It's nice to have cash. Money can be exchanged for goods and services, <laughs> okay? It's not bad. But you give your life to it at the end of the day. There's a lot of rich people who aren't very happy who don't know how true purpose and no true meaning, and they're accumulating for themselves something they cannot take with them beyond this life, and they're not living beyond this life. And there are other things you could do. You could work really hard to get your house in, to look like Southern Living or GQ or wherever, okay? Whatever home magazines are out there. You want HG, you get your HGTV on, okay? You want to put, you want to put little decoupage rocks on the wall and make them all nice. And I tell you, I've been doing home improvement now for the better part of two years on the place we bought. But I want you to know something. If that's the end of itself is to make your house look fancy and you to look cool amongst your friends who probably won't come in your house, and if they do come in your house. You got quick, let's make it look like no one's ever lived here before, okay? We got to just take everything and wash it down. Wash the baseboards. We never wash the baseboards. We got to wash the baseboards. People are coming. They can't think we live here. 
If that is where you're putting your hope in things and possessions and even other people, you are laboring for things that are just broken cisterns. They are good things. They're given by a good God, but they are not God, and they are poor substitutes for him. And he's telling these people, you are missing it. And usually the reason we miss God is not because of the pain that's in our lives. It's because of the pleasure that's in our lives. And what, I, what do I mean? Am I calling us to just away from pleasure altogether? No, not, not at all. I want you to say there is a higher, better pleasure. Because he is speaking about food that, is, that goes on to eternity. So don't continue your life going after things that will perish. And you can insert anything in there of something that, that, is, that is a perishable. And he goes on in verse 28, and he says, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Now, it, how do we understand that phrase? I don't know 100%. There's been a couple of ways that this phrase can be interpreted, but I think one of the best ways we could say, look at it is this. Every person is asking the same question. How can I be right with God? What can I do to make God like me, to make me acceptable before God? Jesus is going to give us a work that is unusual and different than any other faith or belief system in the world. He says, well, the crowd says, all right, I hear you talking about this. Let's change courses here. I'm not sure what he's talking about, food that leads to eternal life. Let's move on to this. What do we must do to do the works of God? Jesus and Jesus responds to them in verse 29. He answered him, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who was sent. If you think about world religions, all of the other ones in the world, they have 12 pillars. They have things you must do to be right with God religious ordinances that you must take. Like, for example, in Islam, you have to give alms. You have to pray three times a day towards Mecca. You have to do different things, that, different acts to be right with God and to one day make it to heaven. In some forms of Buddhism, to make it to a nirvana-like state is to get rid of desire, and so what do you do? You work everything to live a lifestyle with as little as possible. Other ways we do it, and sometimes the way in our American vernacular and our, our hodgepodge of religious beliefs that we try to fit into our, our mind system, one of the things we say is, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm going to try to do just enough good that my good outweighs my bad, so therefore God will accept me. But Jesus, when those people ask, what must I do to do the work of God? And they were expecting, like, read the Torah more, okay? Read the Bible more. Or they were expecting, well, give alms to this. Give an offering over here. Work for Habitat for Humanity. Do, do good works is what they were expecting. And Jesus said, this is the work that God requires. You know what the work that God requires is? Believe on the one who was sent. This is, Christianity is unlike any other belief system in the world. Because in every other belief system in the world, it's what must I do to make myself right with God? And here's the beauty of Christianity. 
God sent his son to make us right with him. And all we must do to be saved is believe on what the son has accomplished. I was in a couple years ago, several years ago now, I was sitting with a student at camp, me and a couple of our adult chaperones, and this student was disturbed by his own sin. And that's a good place to be. I really believe if you're disturbed by your own sin, the fact that you have sinned against the Holy God, that's a good place to be. And we were trying to explain salvation to this kid. It was funny because he had been in church his whole life. And he didn't understand. And that's a real possibility. Because church attendance is, is a work. It's a good thing. It's something you're called to do. Something that will grow you spiritually and something that you have to do as a believer. But it will not save you. And I remember this kid discussing with him and uh, uh, trying to show him Christ. And he was like, but I've done this. If I get myself better, if I stop smoking weed, if I start doing this and I, and, I, and I stay away from these certain people, then Jesus will love me. And I said, no, no, no. And I, wish I could just put this in this kid's heart and said, no, he's done it. You just believe in him and he changes you. Believe in him. The work of God that God requires is that you believe in the Son. Nothing else can save you. Oh, it's glorious news because I'm a wreck mess apart from Jesus. And so are you. There is nothing good in any one of us. And Jesus, these people, they have seen the signs. Some of us wonder, if I could just see Jesus, if I could see the signs, these people had seen it. If I told you we were going to have a church get together, we're going to have some soon, okay? And I said, I'm bringing the food. And I showed up with a happy meal for McDonald's. First off, some of you would be like, mm, that's not organic. I'm not going to eat that. Okay? That's fine. All right? I love you. Okay? I love you. <laughs> if you leave a McDonald's half a meal in your car, it won't rot. I don't know what that means. Okay? I don't know what they put. I mean, listen, you can leave a hamburger under the seat of your car. It won't stink. It'll just be. Okay? I think they probably make the buns out of styrofoam. It's fine. It's fine, okay? If you want to eat it, great. If you don't, that's also fine. But if I show up with this Happy Meal, besides some of you being totally grossed out the fact that I paid money for McDonald's food, and I set that there, and I said, all right, everybody, come and eat. Everybody would be like, you're going to divide that in 85 ways? This is, Jesus is not a magician. And the things, the miracles that he does in the scriptures are not to be, behold the amazing Jesus, next on Jesus Christ Mind Freak, okay? That is not what he is doing. It is to show who he is physically, to show that he is the Messiah. And so the breaking of the bread is meant to show us who Jesus is and that he is worthy to be praised, that he is the Messiah. And these people don't, they, they don't believe even though they have seen and he is telling them, you have missed it. Don't work for things that don't perish. How can you do the works of God? Jesus says, believe in the one who the Father has sent, and that is him. Believe in Jesus. But it cannot be the Jesus of our own understanding. It can't be the Jesus that we'd like him to be. 
It must be the Jesus of the Bible. And he is going to unpack for us in just a few verses who he is. But I want to go ahead and, and, and tell you and, and make this case for you that we like to believe in what we like to believe in contrary to facts, usually. We're not looking for truth. We are looking, for, most of the time, we're not looking for truth. We're looking for things that are going to bolster what we already believe. Okay? I, mean, I, I think that's true. If you're bent one way towards a certain argument as opposed to the other one, you're going to find a website like rightwingnews.crazy or leftwingnews.socialist. Okay? You're going to find one of those two things, and you're like, that's exactly what I believe. I'm so thankful that this crazy website says that because I can post it and let everybody see what, how wrong they have been because I have this undocumented evidence from somebody who believes this, and it goes across the board, left and right, middle, even so far left, they start coming back right, okay? Back and forth. We try to just fit in this, and, and here is one of the things that has come down to us now is we try to find the Jesus of our own understanding, which is, you, heard, you hear this argument a lot. I don't think Jesus would ever condemn sin. I mean, isn't he just love? Have you read the Bible? Have you read when they were discounting God in the temple, what he did? He walked in there and he says, you guys need to love God more. No, what does he do? He throws tables over. He's got a whip, and he's like, come at me, bro. This is my father's house, his house of prayer. You're making it a den of thieves. Get out of here. I don't think Jesus would do that. Who cares what you think or what I think? It only matters what has been revealed about the Son in the Word of God. And so this can't be the Jesus of our own understanding because a lot of us, we make Jesus in our own image. It's like, I can believe in that Jesus. The Jesus who is really against everybody else's sin, but my particular sins and hang-ups, he's fine with. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm so awesome. Hallelujah. That, oh, the sins that I do aren't that bad, but the people on the other side are going to hell. Okay? Thank you that I'm not like other people. I've made Jesus look like me. And the Jesus of the Bible is far too wild and wonderful for that. And so don't waste time searching for food that will perish, but believe on the Son, and the Son is revealed here in the Word as the bread of life in this section. Verse 29, or verse, sorry, verse 30 says this. So they said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? And he has to be like, you got to be kidding me, right? You're chasing me because I just took a happy meal and fed everybody. What sign do you do? Are you kidding me? It's like your kid going to the grocery store. Can I have candy? It's like, you just got candy. What are you doing, okay? <laughs> I forgot, okay? What sign do you do? And we got a, you got a bag of Kit Kats in there like, can I have candy at the store? It's crazy. Just forgot what's happened. So they said, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? And what work do you perform? <laughs> Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, and they go on further, and the crowd says, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, 
as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. This is probably a quotation of Psalm 72, verses 26 and 27, or a reference to Exodus chapter 16, and they're referring to an event in the Old Testament. Do you remember last week when we talked, if you were here, maybe you weren't, just remember the situation where Moses and God, or God appears to Moses in a burning bush, and Moses says, if I go to the people, how are they going to believe me? And he, what's your name? And he says, I am that I am. And so we have Moses here leading the people out. When Moses led the people out of Egypt, they had no food source because they're in the desert. Deserts aren't known for plentiful food, okay? They're known for being deserted, okay? <laughs> All right, so they're out there, and that's it's a barren wasteland as to what happens. How does he feed them? How does God feed the people? Bread from heaven, literally translated probably what is it, okay? <laughs> and they ate it. And if you go back and you look in Exodus 16, you see this bread came every day or every night. It was there in the morning, and it only lasted for a day. If you kept more than was necessary, it would spoil. And so they said, what sign do you perform? Our father, or Moses, he gave us bread from heaven we were there. And Jesus is going to correct their understanding. In verse 32, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It wasn't Moses. Moses was involved. He was God's instrument. But who gave the bread from heaven? The answer is the Father, God the Father, gives you true bread from heaven. So he's correcting a misunderstanding. Moses is not, the story is not about Moses. It's about God, how God loved and redeemed his people. And so God sent bread while the people were wandering in wilderness so they could live. And in this case, the Father is the one who sent it. Going on in verse 33, it says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. The manna fell from heaven. He's saying there is a greater bread. The manna that fell in the wilderness was pointing to the bread that would come from heaven. And he goes on, he says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's talking about himself, obviously, and we're going to see that in a minute. In verse 34, it says, And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And he, Jesus answered in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Many of you will go to a restaurant today after this message. Or, if not after this message, you might go tonight. If you go and sit down at a restaurant, they might bring you, especially if you go to like Logan's Roadhouse or someplace, they're going to bring you something when you sit down. It's going to be bread. Most of the time it's hot. Most of the time it's covered in more butter than you want to realize because it's making out paper, the parchment paper, like see-through, translucent. You know what I'm talking about. They're going to bring you that bread. Or you're going to go to Outback and they're going to bring you that weird loaf that's that you know, brown color. You're not sure what it is, but when you put butter on it, it tastes fine. You, that, that's going to come on like a butcher, uh, like a butcher thing. You're going to eat that, okay? In our culture, bread is an add-on. In fact, in our culture, sometimes it is the meal because they give you so much bread before your food comes. Where you're going, I'm going to eat another roll, just another roll. Before you know it, like you, they keep asking, you want to bring more rolls? Like, yeah, just go ahead and bring some more rolls, okay? Before you know it, you've had like 17 rolls, and like you're like a bird who eats rice, you know, like, okay, it like explodes, expands. 
And you're like, your food gets there, and you're like, I'm good. I'll take that home. But for most of us, bread is an add-on. It's the appetizer. But let's not forget the culture that this is in. For many people throughout the world still, and for these people that Jesus was talking to, bread was the basis, the basis of food and life. That was the main course. And so sometimes in our culture, when we think about Jesus as the bread of life, we think, him, think of him as the add-on, as the basket that comes before the meal, and he is the thing that helps us enjoy what's to come. And he's not the whole basis of the meal. But let's not, let's, let's not get this wrong. For Jesus... He is the main course. When he says, I am the bread of life, he's saying, I have come down from the Father. I'm the fulfillment. You saw that picture in the Old Testament where I fed and kept people alive. That's the only food they had to eat by eating the manna. You saw that I have come that you might have real true life. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm not the add-on to a meal. I'm the main course. And he says this, as the bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And a lot of times, here is what we do with Jesus. We want to make him the add-on instead of the main course. And we say this, if I follow Jesus and his principles, I'm going to have a better life in marriage. If I follow Jesus and his principles, I'm going to be wealthier. If I follow Jesus and his principles, my life will be, have less strife in it. If I follow Jesus and his principles, I'll have peace. And what you have done there is you have made Jesus an add-on to fulfill whatever you want. And, you're, and you get sad and disillusioned with the church or with, with God when I had Jesus, I had him as an add-on, and all these things that I thought he would give me didn't come true. Do you know what the greatest thing that Jesus can give you is? Is himself. Because these people are missing it. They just want, I like Jesus because he gives me food. And Jesus says, you need me because I am the bread of heaven. And if you partake of me, what does it say? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is at the center of, he is the only spiritual food that will satisfy us, and he is the only spiritual goal that will, that will satisfy us long term. Money, wealth, prestige, good health will all go away. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the bread of life, and whoever comes to him, when they partake of him and they believe in him, he is big enough to fulfill every spiritual desire you have and to satisfy you eternally, now and for the future. Now, we are created. When you hear the word spiritual, yeah, we, I, in church, we do this all the time. We use words that we don't understand, and I want to kind of explain to you what I mean and what the Bible's talking about when we're talking about spiritual. It's something above, it's a part of us that is above the physical. There are many of us, or many people in the world, that believe we are just the process, we are just animals, that we are just biological processes, that we are just the sum of our hormones, genes, and other things, and other factors, and that we are nothing more than instinctual animals. 
And that if that were the case, then our desires would end at see food, eat food, have children, increase, let the race go on, okay? We are not Cro-Magnon men, although some of us may look like it, okay? We are not cave people. We are not the sum of our instincts. There is something to us that is spiritual, that longs for the, the next. There's something about a supernatural. We call it the soul. We can call it the spirit. But what I want you to get is that it's, it's a very evident thing in all of us that that exists. Even those who are naturalists, okay, who, who think that there's a closed system and don't allow for any supernatural, they still have these same desires. You know what they're looking for? Purpose. If you're just an animal, you don't have, you don't have to look for purpose but we do. Like your dog, they don't, they're not looking for purpose. You know what they're looking for? Food. Pet me. More food. Sleep. Okay? Your dog has never sat there and pondered, what am I here for? What's the meaning of life? The dog has never sat there and seen the beauty of creation and have a thankfulness well up in them that they can't understand. If we're just natural processes, why would we feel thankful and awed by nature? The sense of awe in nature shows that we are created for more, that we are spiritual beings. And in Jesus Christ, every spiritual longing can be met. He can help us know purpose, he can help us know God. He can help us know why we stand in awe of things, why we must obey, why we have an inner sense of right and wrong. Because if we are just animals, if we, all we are is instinctual creatures, then right and wrong doesn't exist. Survival of the fittest exists. But that's not who we are because we look at tragedy and, and disgusting racism and other things, and we look at it and we say, that is wrong. And Jesus fulfills all of our desires to understand what's wrong, to understand what is true, to understand all things. He is the sum, because he is the son of God. He is the sum that can satisfy you physically, spiritually, and all points in between. And I venture to put this out to you. If you are here and you have been burned, you don't see him as that, it's probably because you have never met him. And Jesus calls out and he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger anymore, not thirst. And if you're at this point where you are hungering and thirsting and you think you're coming to Jesus, I want to propose that possibly you are seeing him as an add-on and not the main course. You're seeing him as a means to an end a means to a, your best life now, a means to get what you want, a means to better health. And I want you to know something. Jesus is telling these people, don't work for things that perish, but work for something that endures for eternal life. Knowing Jesus, trusting Jesus, is where we can find bread that will satisfy us spiritually forever. Going on, as the bread, we see in verse 36, he says, but I say to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. These people who have followed him around, they believed in him as a meal ticket, but did not believe in him as the son. But in verse 37, he says this, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
We see here something that as the bread, Jesus not only satisfies all our spiritual hunger, but as the bread of life, Jesus casts out those, or Jesus never casts out those who come to him. There's a situation here that he says, all that the Father gives to me will come. And I want to be very clear about this. There is a, there, the word election is in the Bible. The words, the, the, the verb chosen is in the Bible. God picked the Jews out of all of the other na- nations that were in existence. The Jews weren't any better. He just picked people. He picked Abram out of paganism to become Abraham, to be the father of the Jewish group. And he picked him based on God's good pleasure. Also, we see in the New Testament that anybody who comes to Jesus has been chosen by God. And that God has a set group of chosen people that he is called out of darkness into light. That is a biblical reality that you have to deal with and have to understand, and it's completely within God's prerogative. That's not fair. You know what's fair? Hell is fair. I, I tell that to my five-year-old son a lot, and, <laughs> and I probably shouldn't because he's going to go to school one day, and they're going to talk about fair, and he's going to go, hell's fair. What do I mean by that? And I was probably not good, okay? The parent-teacher conferences are coming. Amy says, I'm going by myself. But the reason is, is because we all deserve hell. We don't deserve good. And God, in his good pleasure, decides that he has a group and that Jesus is going to come and purchase those, that group. But there's a tension here between the universal call which is come to Jesus, everybody goes to everyone, and this idea of God choosing people. And here is this tension that exists, okay? And here it is. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come. There's a group given. Every person that is given to the Father will come to him. But whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So if you're here and that and us talking about God choosing people scares you, I want you to know something. If you will come to him, he will not cast you out. If you'll come to Jesus, knowing what I just said, I understand that completely, but if you'll come to him, he won't cast you out. Many of you have experienced rejection by a boatload of people, some of which you should never have experienced rejection from. Experienced rejection from, by parents, by a grandparent, by your kids even. Maybe experienced rejection by a spouse. I mean, like, complete and utter, just break your, crush your world. And you want, you've loved this person, and you want them to love you back, but they just simply don't love you. And you know the crush, crushing feelings of that. As the bread of heaven given for the world, if you come to Jesus by faith, believing in the Jesus revealed in the Scriptures, he will not reject you. <laughs> You'll know what I've done. He does. And those words are true. You'll know about the abortion. He does. And if you come to him, he won't cast you out. You don't know about how bad my marriage has been. You don't know about the violence in my past. You don't know about this, that, and the other thing. 
If you'll turn from your sins and come to him, I guarantee you one thing, because he said it, came from his mouth. The I am said it. Because I'm the bread of life, you come to me, I won't cast you out. Oh, guys, coming to Jesus is a, is a full assurance that he will not cast us out. And not only that, it says this, verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So as the bread of life, just like the manna from heaven came down as the will of the Father to feed God's people, God the Father has sent God the Son to be the bread, so whoever believes on the bread to have life and be satisfied spiritually fully, and that we should believe and that all who believe will come to Jesus and if anyone comes, Jesus will never cast them out or reject them. And all of this is the will of the Father. And Jesus says, I've come to do not my will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in verse 39, he says, and this is the will of him who sent me. This is God's will, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Not only as Jesus as the bread of life, will you be received if you come? but he'll keep you to the end. Last day is the last day when sin is vanquished, when God's people, or all people are resurrected and judged. Jesus will keep you to the very end of your life. He will keep you even to the end, the end of your natural life. And if you're his, he has eternal life set for you and you will be safe with him and he will not lose a single one that are his. And so here is the beauty. You come to Jesus, he won't reject you. He'll receive you and he will never let you go. And then here is the full measure of the Father. Verse 40 of the Father's will. For, the will of the fa- for this is the will of the Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The will of the Father is for people to look on the Son. Do you remember in the Exodus journey that Moses was leading the people as they were following God, pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day? There was a situation in which a bunch of snakes showed up in judgment. And what happened? The Israelites got bitten by a bunch of poison snakes. Literally, my worst nightmare is getting bitten by a snake. That scene in Indiana Jones where he falls in the snake pit is like the worst thing ever, okay? <laughs> and they come into this, they get judged by snakes. Lord, help us, okay? I mean, that's really, and that's the thing. They're getting bit by snakes, and they really say, Lord, help us. And what happens? They put a serpent on a pole and raise him up, and everyone who looks at the serpent, what happened? They were healed from the poison. This, knowing the imagery here, is showing as the will of the Father is that people would look to the Son as the Savior and believe Again, what's the work of God? Be better. Do better. Wear your seatbelt. Get a good Bible. Make sure, make sure you obey all the rules. No, what is it? Look to the Son. Believe in the Son. You can be good, but it won't do anything for your soul. Believe in the Son. Look at the Son. The will of God is that we all look to the Son and believe. 
Everyone who looks on the Son in verse 40 and believes in him should have in him should have eternal life and will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is the one. If we look to and believe in him, we will have eternal life. And the will of the Father is to glorify Jesus and to make known that he is the way, that he is the bread, that he is the way, that the only way that your spiritual needs can be satisfied, that your sin can be taken care of, that you can have spiritual life forever. It is in Christ. That's why it is so, that's why something that we can never waver on as believers is that there is another way other than Jesus. It's not just that we decided to be narrow-minded. It's our God tells us the truth, and he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger and thirst. If we were to tell everybody else that there are other ways to have your spiritual needs met, we'd be lying. Because he is the only way that our spiritual needs can be met. And it is the will of God to raise high Jesus so that people will believe on him. And as his church and as believers in Jesus, do you know what our job is? to wave the flag and point people to Jesus. I went to, I guess you call it the tobacco bowl jamboree thing. You guys familiar with that? Anybody that's here? It was fun. I had a good time. Bought some high school football. The only team I really cared about was the Yellow Jackets, okay? Just FYI, all right? I was bored for, I got there too early. I was bored for about an hour, and then they came on the field, and I was like, yeah, all right, so it was exciting. Everybody in this town seems like it, and if you're one of those few that are not into it yet, just hang around. You'll probably get into it, okay? Everybody's wearing the t- the, the Trousel County stuff. They're rocking their purple and their gold. Everybody's out there anxious watching these boys play some ball. Everybody is yelling. When the when the actual games kick in, the band's going to be out there. Okay, and they got the cheerleaders going, yay, Trousel County, okay? Yellow Jackets, okay? I mean, they're getting it. They're trying to get the crowd amped. People are repping it, and they're saying, "Our and they're saying, our team's the best. Your team stinks. We're gonna win that. We're gonna win the the state championship again." And it's all that stuff. And you're just doing exalting and and making much of your team. And soon is coming a day when all of us crazy people down south are gonna go nuts for our college football teams too. We're gonna put on big visors and hats and wave flags and get angry at each other because we're going to talk smack about each other's football team. And some of you who don't care about any of that, the NFL season is going to come around and some of you are going to tighten up and some of you guys are going to be in Steeler Nation. I can even admit there's going to be some Patriots fans even in this mix. And you're going to be waving high the banner. But I want you to know something. The church's mission is not to wave high a political flag is not to wave high a a social agenda, but our main cause is to point and raise high the name of Jesus. You don't exist even for your own comfort or even your spiritual health. Because you hear it a lot of times, I'm not being fed. No, you know why we exist as a church? It's to glorify and raise up the name of Jesus that people would believe in him. 
He is the Savior of the world, that he is worthy of praise, that he is the one who satisfies all spiritual need. We are raising the flag, raise it high. And we got we to gotta ask these questions when we come to ourselves. And there may be changes for us over the next several year, next year or two. And we have to change to make Jesus more known, okay, to raise high the banner. You have to be down with that. You know why? Because it's about him. He's the son. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the bread. He is the best thing. He is. If our church isn't centered on him, we shouldn't exist. If a church is, it says they're a church and they don't center on Jesus, they're not a church. Jesus is the bread. He's the one. The will of the Father is to raise him high that people believe in him and all those who come to him will never be cast out and he'll keep them to the very last day. That is Jesus. We've got to raise high, wave the flag. He is the best. And to a people who know how to wave the flag for teams, we should know better than most how we got to wave this Jesus flag. Because it's the will of the Father that people would look to the Son and believe in Him and have eternal life, and that the bread of life will not lose any that come to Him and satisfy them fully.